The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Thank you. Be seated. If you are third grade and under, you are dismissed to your class. Thank you so much for worshiping with us. Hopefully the children are learning how to worship with their families. It's an incredibly powerful teaching tool. I uh, did not do this because I thought it may absolutely freak you out too much that I would lose the whole crowd, but I thought about having someone just barge in to the middle of my sermon and do what I'm about to say, but rather than freak you out this day and age, because you might like run for the doors, uh, imagine in the middle of the message, someone comes barging in and says, hold on just a minute, and they stand up here, maybe they kind of shoo me to the side, and they say, You've heard it said, you heard what he said, but I tell you, unless your righteousness is as righteous as me, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What would you do? Anyone want to give a shout what you would do? Yeah, right. right. Okay. What would you do? Start listening to him. Start, great. He said, start listening to him. (laughs) Would you check him out a little bit first? Okay, all right, all right, right, good. So hopefully, and you see clearly what he's doing is he's challenging the authority of your teacher. He's challenging the word that we have been, the message we have been giving you. And hopefully what you would do would say, okay, wait a minute, by what authority do you have to say this? By what authority do you have to come in here and challenge our teacher? By what authority do you have to come in and challenge what our elders have been teaching us? What our teachers, what our curriculum says, by what authority do you do this? That's exactly the, that's a very similar situation that we see going on in our text today. Jesus is on the sermon, is is giving his sermon on the mount. And he's gathered his disciples, the disciples that he just recently called and said, Hey, follow me. Leave your fishing business. Very successful business, family business. Leave it. Come follow me. Hey, quit collecting taxes for the government, your powerful, wealthy position. Leave it all for me. And so these guys saw his power, recognized his authority, and they followed him. And now they're sitting at his feet, and he is sitting teaching them on a mountain and there's crowds gathered around because they know this Jesus has done amazing miracles. They know he speaks with unique authority. And they're listening and Jesus has gathered them. And we saw what the last few weeks he was saying is, here's what my true disciples are like. Here's their character. And then he said, last week, he said, you, you my disciples, are salt and light in, in society. You are preservatives against the moral decay and darkness of this society. You are my righteousness in this world. And then today, he is going to explain the nature of that righteousness. He's going to explain, explain the, the standard of his righteousness. And so we're going to see in verses 17 and 18, first... He establishes his authority. By what authority do you come in here and say these things? He's going to establish his authority. And then he's going to lay forth his standard of righteousness. So first, let's look at Jesus' authority. 
Listen to what he says, verse 17 and 18. Imagine him walking in among all the religious authorities, and he says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, that is an authoritative statement. For verily, verily, truly, truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not a iota, not a dot will pass away or pass from the law until all is accomplished. Lord, teach us this morning. Give us hearts of faith that we may hear the truth in your scriptures, understand it, heed the words, and be saved. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So notice, first of all, there's a shift in his sermon from third person to second person to first person. He began the sermon speaking in third person. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake. And then he gets a little more personal. Second person, he says, you're the salt. You're the light of this earth. And then he gets first person authoritative speech. Look at verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you. Verse 20. Truly, truly, I tell you. Look what he says in verse 20. Look at this audacious extreme statement that Jesus says, I, on my own authority, tell you this, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is asserting his authority. He is making extreme claims of righteousness that, that have challenging the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, the scribes and Pharisees were the religious, religious authorities of the day. And so the first thing that the listeners would want to know is, by what authority do you speak? Who do you think you are coming in here and making these audacious claims about our leaders, our authorities, and challenging them and challenging us? And so Jesus first establishes his authority. We're going to see he uses this first person authoritative statements over and over in the days ahead in his sermon. Next week, we'll see like in verse 21, 521, he says, you have heard it was said by your authorities, the scribes and Pharisees, you have heard it was said of those of old that you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Verse 22, Jesus says, but I say to you, Everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. Over and over again, verse 27. You have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust intent, lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart. In verse 31, you have heard it said, verse 32, but I say, you have heard it was said by your religious authorities, but I say something different. So what authority does he have to say these things? We see he 
starts to explain his authority in verse 17. He says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The phrase, the law and the prophets, is a phrase referring, referring to their Old Testament scriptures. He is saying, listen, I know you have your Old Testament scriptures. I know you have the sacred writings that God gave you. And I'm coming in this authority, hammering on your religious teachers. But I'm not coming to abolish the Bible. I'm not coming to, to dismiss or dis- put aside your scriptures, the law and the prophets. The ones that they say that they are experts in the law and the prophets. I'm not coming to do away with them. In fact, I am coming to fulfill them. In other words, he's saying, all of your scriptures are about me. They come from me. They are about me. I fulfill them. I I inform the meaning of them. I am the interpretive key to understanding them. In other words, I am the supreme authority over your scriptures. So he's exalting himself as the supreme authority over the scriptures, as the author of the scriptures, as the one about whom the scriptures speaks, as the fulfillment of all of the scriptures. And so the linchpin of understanding what Jesus is doing is he is taking to task the religious leaders and their authority and their definition of righteousness, and he is giving himself or proving his authority by appealing to the authority of the Scriptures. And he's saying, listen, I affirm the authority of the Scriptures. In fact, I wrote the Scriptures. They're about me. They've been pointing you to me. So Jesus is saying, I fulfill the law and the prophets. So to help you understand what exactly that means to fulfill the law of the prophets, how does Jesus fulfill the law and the prophets? How are they about Jesus? How does your Old Testament point to Jesus? We've got a great video I want you to watch. This video is available on Right Now Media. We make it available to you. That's an incredible. It's like a massive digital library of fantastic biblical resources that you in the technology age need to take advantage of. This is one exceptional video that explains how Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. You're most likely familiar with the Ten Commandments in the Bible, stuff we generally take as good advice. Don't murder, don't steal, honor your parents, the list goes on. And those are just the first ten. There are actually a total of 613 commands, all given to ancient Israel, found in the first five books of the Bible, which in Hebrew are called the Torah. Now, the word Torah is usually translated in English as the law because it has all of these laws in it. And as you read through them, you wonder, am I supposed to obey some of these, all of these? I mean, what's the purpose of the law? Well, that translation is kind of confusing because while the Torah has laws in it, the book itself is fundamentally a story about how God is creating new kinds of people who are fully able to love God and love others. And when Jesus taught about the Torah, he said that he was bringing that story to its fulfillment. So walk me through the story and how it's fulfilled. So the story begins with God creating humanity who rebels. And God chooses Abraham to bless all of the nations through his family, who end up in slavery down in Egypt, and so God rescues them. Then at Mount Sinai, God makes a covenant with Israel, like an agreement. And all of the laws that Moses gives to Israel are the terms of that agreement. They're like a constitution. And so some of the laws, they're about rituals and customs that set Israel apart from the nations. 
Other laws are about social justice or morality, and by following these, Israel would show the other nations what God is like. Okay, so the rest of the Torah is just the complete list of laws that Moses gives Israel? Mm, no, the rest of the Torah just continues the story. And the 613 commands are only a selection from that original constitution. And even these have been broken up and placed at strategic points within the story. Now pay attention, because you'll see a really clear pattern. Moses gives the first laws to Israel. Yeah, don't worship other gods, don't make idols. And then right after that, there's a story of Israel breaking those very laws. Yeah, they worship the golden calf. And so Moses gives some more laws. And then you get more stories of rebellion. Some more laws, rebellion again, some more laws, more rebellion, and you start to see the point. Right, no matter how many laws, they're just going to continue to rebel. So at the conclusion of the Torah's story, Moses gives this final speech to Israel as they prepare to go into their new home. And he tells them, you guys, I know that you're not going to follow all of God's laws. You've proven to me that you're incapable. And Moses says the problem is that their hearts are hard and that they're going to need new transformed hearts if they're ever going to truly follow God's law. And he was right. I mean, the story goes on to recount Israel's total failure. They go into the land. They break all the laws. Right. Now, the next section of books in the Jewish tradition are the 15 books of the prophets, and they reflect back on the story. For example, Ezekiel, he said that if Israel was ever going to obey the law, God's spirit would have to transform their hard hearts into soft hearts. And Jeremiah said that's when obedience to God's command wouldn't feel like a duty, but they would be written deep in their hearts. And Isaiah he promised a future leader, Israel's Messiah, who will lead all of the people in obedience to the law. Now, in Jewish tradition, all of these books together are called the prophets, even the historical books, because they're continuing the story told from the perspective of the prophets. Okay, so we have the law and the prophets, and they're telling one connected story about God's desire to bless the whole world through a people, Israel, who it turns out needs a new heart. Yes, and Jesus saw himself as continuing that story. So he agreed with the law and the prophets when he taught that it's out of the human heart that come the most ugly parts of human nature. It's like the default setting of our hearts is opposed to God's law. But Jesus also said that he came to solve that problem, and in his words, to fulfill the law. So what does he mean there, to fulfill the law? Well, first he said that the demand of all of the laws in the Torah could be fulfilled by what he called the great command, that we are to love God and to love others. So that seems pretty easy. I mean, we all want to love. Well, we think we want to love. But Jesus showed how love is far more demanding than we realize. So he quotes the law, do not murder. And he says, yes, not killing someone is a very loving thing to do. But then he also says that when you treat someone with disrespect or when you nurse resentment against them, you're also violating God's moral ideal because you're not treating that person with love. And so Jesus said true love ought to extend even to our own enemies. So even though this command seems very simple, Jesus showed how our hearts are not currently equipped to fulfill even this basic command of God to love others. And that's kind of a downer. But where Israel failed, Jesus brought this story to its fulfillment. As Israel's Messiah, he fully loved God and others, and he showed all of the nations what God is truly like. He did this through his acts of compassion and mercy, and ultimately by loving his enemies even unto death. And after his resurrection, he told his followers that he would send God's spirit to transform their hearts so that they could follow him and fulfill the purpose of the law, to love God and to love their neighbor. 
So this fulfills the story of the law and the prophets. Or in the words of the Apostle Paul, the one who loves fulfills the law. So from now on, I'm just going to play videos. And we'll call it a day. So hopefully you see that helps us understand. Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. Law and prophets meaning the Old Testament. Jesus is God. He's the Word of God. He's the center and focus He's the central, central idea of the Word of God. Everything in the Old Testament, either the direct prophecies pointing to Jesus, the, doctrinal, the doctrines which are fully understood in Jesus, or the pictures of salvation which Jesus provides, or the parts of the story, the sacrificial system, which helps us understand the theology of Jesus' death. All of this is fulfilled by Jesus. Jesus is not abolishing the Old Testament Scriptures. He's fulfilling the Old Testament Scriptures. And so Jesus then carries this forward to include the New Testament when you look at verse 18. Look what he says in verse 18. We know he's affirmed that he fulfills the Old Testament scriptures, but we also see he has authority over the New Testament scriptures as the one who will fulfill that as well. He says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota or not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. First of all, the the iota and dot is just simply saying every last detail of it. It's like saying dotting every I, crossing every T. It's a Hebrew phrase, and he's just saying, listen, none of it, not the least bit of it will pass away until heaven and earth pass away. Now, what is that referring to? Heaven and earth passing away. Well, that's what takes place when Jesus returns. When Jesus returns, he is fulfilling the final stages of the scriptures. He fulfills the kingdom of God. He brings the kingdom of God. The old, this earth, the heavens and earth pass away. And he brings forth a new heavens and earth where he is the king. And we, his people, reign with him. And we no longer need the scriptures because he is with us. And so until then... Jesus says, I am the authority over scriptures, and with my authority, I affirm the continuing authority of the scriptures. That the the Old and New Testaments will always be our authority until he comes again. Because he, as the great authority, says this is the authority of our lives. And so... what we see Jesus doing is establishing his authority as the one who can speak about how to interpret the scriptures and the one who can come down hard on these religious authorities. And that's exactly what he does. That's what we see next. Jesus sets forth his righteousness in verses 19 through 20. Look what he says in verse 19. This is where he really hammers home on the religious authorities of the day. He says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commands, having just said the word of God will be the authority in your life forever until I come back. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so he's saying, my standard is the word of God. And how your authorities, how your religious leaders handle the word of God is how they are judged. That if, if even the smallest part of the word of God is treated with disrespect, if the smallest, simplest command is relaxed, that is the least of the kingdom of God. That is the least of those in my kingdom. I will judge by how you handle my word, he's saying. 
And so he is saying to the, to the people listening, to the people who know that the, the religious leaders of their day are self-proclaimed experts in their word, self-proclaimed righteous keepers of the word. They have it memorized and, and they've so clearly articulated what obedience looks like and they are perfectly keeping that in. and they're very rigorous to, to make sure that we all are righteous in keeping the, the laws of God. And as human nature always does, there is a self-exaltation. They're exalting themselves and their pride saying, hey, I am righteous and I determine whether you're righteous or enough or not. And so the religious leaders have defined a standard of righteousness. And Jesus is coming in saying with all authority on heaven and earth that I have as the, the author, perfecter, and fulfiller of your scriptures. If anyone relaxes the smallest commandment of my word, they are nothing in my kingdom. Why would he say that? I mean, the scribes and Pharisees, are they relaxing the commands? I mean, my goodness, they had it so detailed. The Sabbath, if you, you're supposed to rest on the Sabbath, well, boy, did they have that defined. It is like our IRS code on steroids. I mean, you can carry it this far. You can't carry it this far. You can carry a weight. You can do this. You can get your ox out of the... Or you can't. I mean, it was amazing. No one would have thought they're relaxing the standard. No, they are making it very hard to keep it. And Jesus says, no, they're relaxing the standard. How were the scribes and Pharisees relaxing the commands of Scripture? Well, they, two ways, as we saw in the video, but two ways. First of all, there are commands and there are uh, permissions, if you will. And we're going to see in the days ahead, next week and the weeks following, Jesus takes a few examples and says, here's how they're relaxing it. But the commands, they, they loosened, they relaxed. Do not murder. They're like, okay. I won't kill anybody, but I sure ain't going to like them. I may not literally kill them because, yeah, I'll be, I'll be liable in court, but I don't have to like them. I sure are not going to love them. I'm going to hate them. I'm going to hold a grudge, especially those who aren't among us. And if they're enemy, enemy forget them. But don't kill them because then you're going to be, you know, justice will be served. And God's going, that's not... That's not what I want. That's not what I expect of my people. That's not going to shine a light onto the nations to see what a glorious God you serve. Or when it comes to adultery, the next one he looks at. They said, okay, I won't have adultery outside of marriage. No, no physical relationship outside of marriage. But I'll look at porn. I'll lust. And Jesus is like, you really think that fulfills what I wanted from you? You really think that brings glory to me? You think you're fulfilling the law? Jesus says, no, they're relaxing the standard. And why are they doing that? So they can achieve it. They're redefining it in such a way that they can accomplish it so they can judge themselves righteous and not have to answer to the righteous judge. Then they can exalt themselves as judge over others. That's what human nature does with God's laws. Not only were they relaxing the commands, but they also were extending the privileges. We'll see that as well. God gave permission for divorce in these circumstances, and they turned it into divorce for any cause. Oh, they burned the toast. 
Leave them. Just give them a certificate and you're good. And Jesus says, wait a minute. No, you are abusing the law. You are not keeping the law. And anyone who relaxes my word and teaches others to do the same are the least in my kingdom. I uphold those who keep my word and honor my word. So Jesus is establishing a completely different standard of righteousness. And how much more can you say it than in verse 20? Jesus says with his authoritative statement, For I tell you, I, the one who fulfills the word, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of your elders, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of your bishop, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of your pope, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has walked into the room as God in flesh. And he says, unless your righteousness is perfect like mine, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And at that point, the right response for everybody on the mountain would have been to humble themselves. Nobody would have said in their right mind, well, good, I got that. Whew, I thought you were going to make this difficult. No, the right response. What Jesus is doing is he's holding the word of God, the law of the prophets, the commands of scripture, all of which are just a mere glimpse of his perfect, holy righteousness. It's just a a partial revelation, a partial reflection of his righteousness, his perfections. And he's holding it up like a mirror to our faces. And he says, this is what you must be to enter the kingdom of God. At that point, we should be what he said in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs are the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who come to God knowing I am bankrupt spiritually. I have nothing of my own righteousness to offer. I can't merit it. I can't keep the laws. I can't be righteous. I mean, maybe I could physically not murder and not commit adultery, but love my enemies from the heart, never lust, never get angry. Are you kidding me? Lord, I got no hope. The whole point of the scriptures. Remember what he said in the law. The whole point of the law. Your first five books of your Bible. Which has all these detailed laws. The whole point of it is to make it clear. People cannot earn their righteousness. Nobody can do it. Why? Because their hearts are bad. Their hearts are unrighteous. Their hearts, our hearts before Christ are wicked. And the only thing we can do is produce fruit that is laced with that sinful heart. 
Even our best deeds are laced with prideful intentions. And so our, our hearts produce bad, rotten fruit. And so we have no fruit to offer God. It's all rotten. And that should be bad news. And the, the prophets, the law and the prophets, the next books of your Old Testament say, that's bad news. But there's good news. One who is coming will give a new heart. He will write the laws, the will of God, the commands of God on your heart. He'll give you new desires. And he, meaning Jesus, Jesus says, that's me. He died on the cross to to take the penalty that you and I deserve because of our sin and rebellion and wicked hearts and wicked fruit. And when we trust Jesus, what does he do? What does he call us? What does he declare us to be? Righteous. Saints. Saints. Righteous. Children of God. He makes us what we couldn't do ourselves. He declares us righteous. He gives us credit for Jesus' righteousness. He then fills us with His Spirit. It's the Spirit who guides us. It's called born again, born of the Spirit, a new heart, a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone filled with the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the laws of God written on your hearts. He changes us from the inside out. It's not an external righteousness that we, learn, that we earn with our external behavior or religious sacrifices or religious ceremonies or good deeds. It's, a, it's an internal rotting of new righteousness, new heart that the Spirit of God produces within us, paraphrased in the video, paraphrased in the scriptures, as love, love from the heart. That we start being transformed into salt and light from the heart as God makes us new creatures. We start living out the righteousness that he has put in us. We start being who he's declared us to be. We start becoming who he says, I will make you to be. Until that day he returns and finishes the process and we are fully perfect inside and outside, eternally. So he says My standard is perfection. And so we come today and we look at the word of God and the word of God says, you must be as righteous as Jesus or you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Are we hearing that message? That is the message that Jesus has walked in here today to say, unless you are more righteous than the most righteous person you know, if you're not as perfectly righteous and holy as me, Jesus says, then you will never, ever, ever enter the kingdom of heaven. But, trust in me, he says, and I will declare you righteous, and I will begin to make you righteous, and I will finish it one day where you are completely righteous inside and out. Amen? Have you been made righteous? What is, what is your standard? What is your standard of righteousness? Are you looking at others? Are you like, I, I, have, I have talked to many people over the years. I still remember one of my best friends was discipling him in a time of crisis in his marriage and life. And I realized he, he, he doesn't get it. And he literally said... I mean, I'm not a bad guy. I'm a good guy. 
He literally said, I help, I'll help old ladies across the street. I'm like, really? This is your standard of righteousness. And I said, brother, I mean this from the scriptures. Jesus says, you're wicked from the inside out. That was hard to tell a friend that. I did it with humility. I prayed and I asked God to help. And we were reading through the scriptures together. And he came in one day and he was different. And he said, I get it. It's not, and he read the scripture that was in the reading for that week. He said, it's not what I take in that defiles me. It's what comes out. And the Lord opened his eyes to see. He needed to be transformed, made righteous from the inside out. Have you been declared righteous by Jesus? Is Jesus your only source of righteousness? Are you saying, listen, unless I have the righteousness of Jesus, I will never enter the kingdom of heaven. There's no hope. If not, let today be the day. There's no trial period. There's no working off your sins. There's no go through a class before you can do this. It can happen right now. Jesus is confronting us all right now. And he is saying, listen to me as he sits with his disciples and the crowds are listening. He's saying, listen to me. Trust me and I will make you righteous. May it be true of us today. As the band comes in to lead us in our closing song, I want you to do business with the Lord. These closing songs are meant for us to take the word of God, to take what God has said to us, and apply it in our hearts. You can come down and talk to me during the song. You can privately pray a prayer. Just talk to God. You don't need a a certain formula. You don't need magic words. Just, Just confess to God. Say, God, I am not righteous. I am not righteous. And I will never be righteous enough. And I want you to make me righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he will declare you a saint on the spot. And he will fill you with the spirit of God. And he will make you salt and light. Father God, let this be true of everyone in this room. May no one leave here without trusting only in the righteousness of Christ. May we not measure ourselves against any lesser standard. Other than your perfections, your perfect righteousness. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.